Tracy. What do you want? You're wonderful. It's like that movie. What movie? I love you. Nothing else matters. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. Can't be anything like love, can it? No. That's a chick's movie. I would say so. Hello everyone, welcome back to romcom.com. I am your host, Brickley Powell, and today I have a very special guest with me. This is an Olympic four-time gold medalist and a current college student, and only one of those is a lie. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for selecting me to be a part of this podcast series. It's yeah. very exciting to me. I love movie reviews. So. Oh, and I guess we should say your name. You are. Oh, I haven't introduced myself. I'm Mary Napton. I'm, <laughs> yeah. This is Mary Napton. Um, today we're talking about Harold and Maude, and I've already told you this, but the reason I selected Mary is I knew going into this one that this is going to be a very odd and bizarre movie, and Mary is one of the weirdest people I know. (laughs) (laughs) I will take that as such a compliment, dude. I love that, and I'm very honored that you chose me for this one. I just knew I wanted to find somebody who would probably find something in this movie other people couldn't or at least take something away or maybe appreciate it more than the average viewer because i don't last week i did sleepless in seattle which is perhaps the most basic conventional romantic comedy you can possibly do and this one it's this may december romance kind of existential crisis film um harold and maude so i'm going to provide a quick little synopsis and there are spoilers ahead bud court plays harold a 20 year old who is obsessed with death he falls for Maud, played by Ruth Gordon, who is only 50 years his senior. Although their romance is short-lived because Maud takes her life when she turns 80, she leaves Harold with a valuable world perspective. Mm-hmm. So to kind of break it down, it was released in 1971, directed by Hal Ashby. It stars Bud Court and Ruth Gordon, who were two people I was not familiar with at all. I didn't know much about this movie before I watched it. I knew it was going to have a weird age gap relationship, but that's all I knew. Did you have any kind of knowledge? Had you heard of it before? I mean, I'd heard the title. I think my parents had like made jokes about like the age gap thing. Like, oh, it's a Harold and Maude thing. Like, like um, if like one, one, one of my relatives started dating someone much older, they'd call him Harold and Maude. But oh. I did not understand the reference. I'd never seen the movie. So it was new for me as well. <laughs> so your first time watching it, what did you think? All right. So I personally am not the biggest fan of rom-coms. There are a couple that I can appreciate for the like nostalgic value like watching them growing up so I, w- I had low expectations watching this movie I will say I found the humor kind of dated but I did I did appreciate um, I, the unique storyline I appreciated the social commentary like societal commentary from the movie I found it like had more depth than most rom-coms yeah, yeah. You say you're not a big fan of rom-coms, so I'm mm-hmm. especially happy that I invited you on the podcast <laughs> because a lot of this is dissecting. Is yeah. this Does this influence society in a good way? Does this influence viewers' perception of romance in a good way? Or is this total bullshit that is sending potentially a harmful message into this world? I loved this movie. Totally loved it. Loved it. I enjoyed it so much more than I expected I would. It just worked for me in almost every level. I was compelled. For some reason, I bought this. I thought the humor was fantastic, but I do want to talk to you about it. Okay. It, it was just, I was so pleasantly surprised. I couldn't praise it enough. And it's it's a very rude movie, so I feel like I might have to defend that response. <laughs> but let's first off get into the humor. It was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. I thought this movie was funny, but you didn't. 
I don't know. I mean, like, I watch, like, a lot of modern, like, stand-up comedy and, like, like YouTube series, like, com- like comedy YouTube series. So I found the humor a little bit dated, but that's just my personal, like, opinion about, like, like comedy, I guess. Um, there were some funny scenes. I do remember there were a couple that, like, made me laugh. Back to the humor. You watch a lot of stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just used to, like, a wittier, faster... Yeah, I guess it, it was a little slower-paced humor than I'm used to. I, d- I did think it was good for, like, uh, a rom-com from the 70s, considering I'm not a fan of rom-coms in the first place. I, d- I could appreciate a lot of aspects of the movie. So, so let's first off get into why don't you like rom-coms. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess I grew up um, watching movies that my dad told me to watch. Like, he was like, oh, this is super funny. Like, you should watch this. And then, like if I'd be watching a rom-com with my friends he'd always say like oh that's kind of stupid like and so I kind of like grew into thinking like oh rom-coms are stupid like it influenced me growing up so I just kind of like internalized my I uh, adopted my dad's views on rom-coms I guess (laughs) I thought the humor in the movie was obviously it's very very dark and I saw you made a note about that yes yes so like before watching I looked up like kind of the genre and like about it so I could kind of have a little bit of expectation of what I was going to see so it said first off you have to understand it's a dark comedy so the humor is not for everyone. There's a lot of like uh, suicidal references and a lot of like self-harm throughout the movie for comedic purposes. Like it's it's a dark theme, but it's inclu- it's used in a way that it's supposed to invoke laughter in the audience. So I would say. did you have a problem with that? I mean, me personally, no, but I could understand how that would be offensive today. Like, I don't think you could get away with the same kind of humor today, like as this movie came out like 30, 40 years ago, right? Yeah. So, 50 oh, years ago. 50, 50 years this ago. Is wow. Fi- this is exactly wow. 50. Dang. That's crazy. Yeah. I. That was the one thing. That would be my one thing I would say about watching it. And, of course, coming from someone who doesn't really deal with suicidal thoughts or doesn't have any kind of um, mm-hmm. preconceived notions of death, I just thought it was funny. I, I was just, you know, popcorn fanfare eating it up. But I can see if you're actually troubled by these things, how this depiction on screen would be very insulting to you. Mm-hmm. Especially when, I don't know if you caught in the movie, but Harold and Maude, when they have their discussion, he basically admits to her that the only reason he fakes so many different types of suicide, which is never really explained at all how he's managing to... Die over and over again. Yeah, make it appear like he's so... I mean, he hangs himself, he cuts himself, and he just... He drowns in the pool. I thought that scene was so funny. That one was funny. Just the the way it was um, laid out on screen, I thought was pretty funny. Yes. See, I was hooked in this movie in the very first scene where you see him walk in and they just follow his feet and he lights a candle and he gets this room ready and then he just hangs himself right then and there. And then there's this great mislead where the mother comes in, sees him. Oh, there he goes again. There's Harold doing his thing. Yeah. I I think it was, like, included to, like kind of play off that co- very common feeling of being ignored or like misunderstood by your parents like that's kind of like the societal um statement they're making with that like Harold feels like misunderstood or ignored ignored by his mom so every time he like embraces his intrigue of like death or like attempts suicide she doesn't seem to care or plays it off as nothing mm-hmm. so like it, like it's supposed to be funny on screen but it's also kind of like a, a comment on that in my opinion yeah yeah and he admits to Maude one day that the reason he he's so obsessed with death is one time he caused an explosion in chemistry class at school when the authorities came they thought he had been killed they told his mother oh your son's died and he says that she's he saw her very dramatically faint in someone else kind of theatrically for the cameras and that was the moment he decided that he would rather be dead than alive and it's also it's it's hard to pity Harold because this guy is loaded 
Mm-hmm. He lives at this beautiful estate. He seems to not have a job or a care in the world other than... Yeah, I don't think they ever... That's why we had such a hard time coming up with what he does, like what his role is as a yes! person. You, you never see him doing anything besides playing with the idea of death, all I guess. You, yeah, yeah, all you see is him yeah. fixing up old hearses, going to funerals. You know, he sees a therapist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which I also thought those scenes were very funny. But I, as we now know, in the modern age, you have to be careful when you deal with psychology. There's a movie, um, I have not actually seen it, but I've heard about it called Ordinary People. And it was actually directed by Robert Redford. And it came out, I think, shortly after this. And a lot of psychologists said across the board that they loved that movie so much because it was the first time they had seen an accurate portrayal of what it's like to be in clinical psychological care. Up until that point, it was all kind of this cartoony, loony version of, oh. How you know, do you feel about that? Yes. Like, you lay yeah. down in the chair and yeah. you. And this movie is definitely guilty of that in kind of making a comedy. But it's all to form this big parallel, which is the theme of the movie, life versus death. Mm-hmm. And Maude is life. And Harold is death. Yes. <laughs> and I think the way the way the movie kind of excuses itself of all these problematic themes is it makes the point at the end of the movie that Harold chooses life. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I actually had to rewatch the ending um, like again because I didn't really understand it. I was kind of working on homework while I was watching towards the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, I kind of missed the part where he wasn't in the the vehicle. Oh my god. <laughs> I thought he he was dead. (laughs) That totally changes the end of the movie. You think Harold commits I thought it was like a a full Romeo and Juliet ending. Then I realized it was an ironic twist on the Romeo and Juliet ending. Uh, So I guess we can break down what happens in this movie more Mm -hmm. specifically. Basically, we know Harold um, obsessed with death. We don't know why yet at this point. He runs into Maude at funerals, and she is the most eclectic spirited terrifying yeah so youthful but she's 79 years old and harold is 20 and do you think they portray this romance in a way that you can at least buy a little bit at least entertain the thought i mean the age gap thing did make me uncomfortable i'm going to admit like i can't really relate to um a relationship of that kind i guess so uh, i did find that part uh more funny than realistic but i guess i interpret it as not a literal love story towards the end but it's like a metaphor that like beauty can be found in the balance of everything so like um youth and age like light and dark like it's not, I, I didn't find it as a literal love story, more of like a metaphor for how you find beauty in the world, I guess. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of how I saw this as well. It was not so much meant to be taken literally, but yeah. more of a message of find optimism and hope within like the kind of shittiness of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought though, the way they paint this character, it's almost as if she saves him in a sense, or she brings him the joy that he's been lacking in his life this entire time. Mm-hmm. You don't see any other character that seems truly invested or interested in him until he meets more. Maude. How does this challenge the typical romantic comedy? Um, I guess more more so that it's 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 not about one specific relationship, like a sexual or romantic relationship. It's more about finding love for life, like le- finding love throughout the world, like using one relationship to broaden your understanding of how uh, your relationship with the world works. So because he found love towards Maude, he also found his love for life. And so mm-hmm. I think it, it was it was more than just one a story about one man and one woman. <laughs> I 
also want to say this movie was not successful when it was released. I don't know mm-hmm. if you knew that. Critically and commercially, it was a failure. And then it slowly kind of gained a following over the years. And I guess people just bought into the humor. I doubt it was the, the romance that saved it. Mm-hmm. No, I was just very surprised to see it even listed within some of these very conventional romantic comedies because this subverts the genre in almost every way. Mm-hmm. Starting off with you have two romantic leads who are both conventionally unattractive. Mm-hmm. One, simply because she's 80 years old. And one, because he's, like you said, he has a baby face. He's googly-eyed. <laughs> he doesn't smile much throughout the movie either. He barely so, yeah. smiles. Did you ever see there's um, certain scenes I let her read that they were actually improv where he kind of breaks the fourth wall and he... I didn't really notice that. He doesn't speak directly to the camera, but there's been times where, for example, his mother is... Um, trying to set him up with like a date and there's one point where he scares off one of the girls by yet again faking a death (laughs) and as she's like running off or as she's shrieking you know he just slowly looks at the camera and just this slow grin kind of crawls across his face like I did it. Like a a Jim Halpert thing from The Office. Yes he pulls a Jim Halpert (laughs) and I just liked that meta-ness because with a story like this you almost have to be able to wink at your audience and be like we know this is weird too. It's okay. Thank God it's a comedy because if, if this was played as a melodrama, this would not work at all. And there were a lot of like Shakespearean references, so I can, I think it was kind of like an ironic take on the tragedy of a like a, a like a drama. I didn't a Roma, even catch that. So like the actress girl that his yes. mom tries to set him up with plays the the Romeo and Juliet scene out, or is it Macbeth? I can't remember. It's it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So he fakes his own death with the um the knife. He like disembowels himself and he's laying dead on the floor. And so she's like, oh, I that was a fantastic performance. I played Juliet in this one performance, and then she pretends to also take her own life. And so I, that's kind of like the first Shakespearean reference that I noticed. And then towards the end, when uh, Maud says she took the pills and Harold's like, okay, like I, I, I'm this entire time I'm thinking, oh, he's going to kill himself too in a ritualistic way, just like Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, they have that twist. Uh, so it's like a the, the ironic twist on the classic love story that influences so many other love stories, I guess. I didn't even make that connection that this was a modern Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And I love that scene with the actress that comes, who's another girl that his mom is trying to play matchmaker with. Mm -hmm. And to me, I kind of interpreted that as that's the moment he realized, oh, this little gimmick I have, it's not special. Because Mm -hmm. up until this point, he's the only person he's ever known that's truly obsessed and can fantasize and can embrace death in this matter. Then he meets this girl and he fakes his death in front of her and she goes, oh, I can do that too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She proceeds to fake her death and it's kind of a wake-up call where he's like, this is not enough for me. This is not okay, the yeah. fulfillment I need because anybody can do this. Anybody can call attention to themselves by being vulgar. I need more. I guess we can talk more about the character of Maud. We don't know much about her. Mm, um, that's true. Did you catch the reveal that she was in a Jewish concentration camp? I did not. Wait, where did where was that? They don't draw attention to it at all, so it's so easy to miss. But the scene where they are like sitting on a bench outside and the sun is setting... Harold looks down and you're able to see the numbers that are on her arm. And that's your oh, only indication. I didn't even notice that. But doesn't that change your perception of her character in such a big way? Okay, okay. So maybe like because like so much of her youth was 
was taken away through like the horrendous acts of the Holocaust, she felt the need to carry on her youth throughout the rest of her life so that she seems so youthful in her old mm-hmm. age. Okay, I never made that connection. But okay, wow. It's such a small thing, but it informs so much of the missing details mm. when you catch on to that. You also have Harold, who is so naive and so young, and he's the same age I am. Maybe that's part of the reason I latched onto this so much, is I also could relate to this guy who has no idea what he wants to do with life, but mm-hmm. he's in the presence of someone who's seen terror and horrors that he probably will never even flirt with in his life. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting um, choice, too, within the screenplay to go that direction, too, and to just not even want to navigate or explore it. Did you read any behind the scenes of the production of this movie? Not really, not really. Okay, so it was written as a thesis for a master's student at UCLA Film School, and he actually worked as a pool boy for one of the producers at Paramount. And one day he calls up this producer's wife and he shows her his script and she's like, this is actually really good. So she sends it into her husband. It goes through Paramount. Paramount producers are like, we'll make this movie and we'll let you direct it. That's and, incredible. Yeah, his, wow. his last name was Higgins. So it's Sunshine and Rainbows up until this point. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so he goes and I think he just shoots a couple of shots and he shows it to the producers kind of his vision. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're not ready for this yet. Okay. okay. And so it's like his precious darling, you know, his big shot and he's told he can't direct this movie. And so they bring in Hal Ashby, who is a relatively new director at this point. He'll go on to do other big things and he's pretty widely regarded and claimed within the business as one of the better directors, especially of this um, auteur era, mm-hmm. which we're kind of going into in the early 70s. Hal Ashby comes in and Hal Ashby insists that he cannot make the movie without the playwright's blessing and then he makes the playwright a co-producer on the movie so that he can oversee all the production and he can also learn about directing while he's overseeing it and I just think that's such a cool story. Yeah I do like I didn't I had no idea about that. That's yeah interesting. isn't okay, that interesting yeah. because you you hardly ever see that in a director. Directors are tyrants. Directors normally, well, that's a very generic term, but... <laughs> that's that's the stereotype anyways. Yes, yeah. directors are your very elitist artists who want to see their vision put on screen and they'll do whatever and they're cutthroat. And here we have a director who said, no, this is your story. This is yours. It's good. We want to show you how to execute this the best way possible. And I really admire that about that. And we can kind of use this as a segue into the directing and I guess maybe it would just be the editing, but there's there's so just so many little things within this movie that work well for me. Starting off with the soundtrack, what did you think of the soundtrack? I really enjoyed the soundtrack, just like the '70s kind of folksy, yes. like uh, all all by the same artist. Cat, right? yeah, it's Cat, Cat Stevens, of course. It's incredible. I love the continuity the continuity with that throughout the movie. I think it kept the storyline going and just made it seem like a cohesive story. I mm-hmm. guess, yeah. Um, I have a story. So when I got my very first car, it didn't have Bluetooth in it and it did have a radio, but it was very old and it was challenging to see the screen. So it was just a lot of work to even select a channel because I couldn't see what I was choosing. (laughs) So I asked my mom to go out and just get me a couple of CDs. Mm -hmm. And one of the CDs she brought back was a Cat Stevens CD. Oh, that's incredible. And so I remember I was like 16 years old driving around my hometown listening to Cat Stevens. I had no idea he had even worked on the movie or contributed any songs to the soundtrack. And it was such a pleasant surprise, mm-hmm. and the music works so well, and the music's frequent. They don't really let up. It seems like every scene, they're using a song of his in oh, some definitely. way. 
but it works really well. And I, I was even studying today listening to it. It's just such fun music, such a, and it's, it's kind of refreshing to step away from your traditional score and go to just a fun light soundtrack too. Yeah, def- and I think the choice to use like Cat Stevens, like his voice is kind of like, like deeper and like, like solemn, but he also has like the bright guitar, like the, just the, the contrast of like um, his voice and the guitar also kind of like reflects the contrast in the movie. Yeah. yeah, I really like that. It has to be hard when you're dealing with two like drastically different characters within their color palette and mm-hmm. their acting styles and stuff. Finding things you can use that are going to complement both of them and mm-hmm. um, kind Definitely. of merge the two. It has to be hard in your set dressing and your soundtrack and all that kind of thing. I also thought there were tons of really wonderful like directing bits I thought or just things they did with the camera. I was like, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And we already talked about the pool scene, which has to be a deliberate decision. Like we're not going to reveal that he's faking his suicide until we do this slow <laughs> the slow pan. panning that, that was what made me laugh i really liked that scene yeah, actually, yeah. but then you know there's a lot of metaphors that are kind of hit over the head there's a scene where they're talking about different flowers Maud is making the argument that every single flower is different mm. and then they get up to go and as soon as they get up to go there's a hard cut and they're sitting in a cemetery mm. and there's this slow pan and you just see gravestone after gravestone within the cemetery and it's again this very direct contrast of life versus death the how all this the tombstones are the same but each of the flowers is different is that what yeah 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 yeah. so i mean she basically has just finished saying like you need to look for the joys in life there's no sense in everything being the same Mm -hmm. um find joy and then you immediate cut you're within a cemetery i don't know exactly what director hal ashby was trying to tell the audience in that moment but it was a very clear metaphor Mm -hmm. um an extension of that life versus death thing they're exploring throughout this movie. Are you familiar with the term chiaroscuro? No. Okay, so have you read The Tale of Despero? Okay. Okay. I have not read the telescope, but I've seen the movie. (laughs) Okay. I haven't seen the movie, but this was one of my favorite books growing up. Wait, maybe I. I You know what? The mouse that like. I think I actually had that book read out to me in like second grade. Yeah, it's incredible, and I learned the term chiaroscuro from it. So it's a it's a artistic technique of using contrasting light and dark to convey texture or depth. Mm. And so I think the director really like utilized like a, a literary, uh, chiaroscuro in writing the script and like the like visual and filming like I think it was incredible the way he like contrasted everything throughout the movie like every little detail contrasting between Harold and Maude so it really created like a depth in the movie yeah especially you know there the, the spaces they occupy Harold's home is total dark academia yeah <laughs> dark academia yeah um, I, lo- I love his outfits in this movie mm-hmm. like the bell bottom whatever they are I saw the, the plaid pants and the the blazer I remember that outfit I was like wow I yes, whereas Maude is an 80-year-old woman, yet she still wears her hair in braids, which mm-hmm. is such a youthful touch right there. Her home is maximalism, you know, if we're referring to current TikTok uh, <laughs> Aesthetic. <laughs> aesthetics. Yes. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. They really wanted the personalities of these characters to be projected in every single aspect of their lives, mm-hmm. straight down to, you know, their wardrobe. Oh, I just thought it was similar. Like, um, the movie Archie's Final Project that came out in 2009. Uh, in 2009, really, like, um, that that's a movie I had seen, like, a couple years ago, and I had not seen Harold and Maude at this point. And now that I watch Harold and Maude, I see a lot of the influence from Harold and Maude in it. So it's, it's a dark comedy also dealing with a suicidal loner in high school. And he kind of falls in love with, like, the head cheerleader. And, like, he sees a lot of light in her but then like um the closer they get the more he realizes oh she kind of like has dealt with the same things as me in regards to like the intrigue of death 
And so I, I really saw like a lot of similarities in that. I thought it was crazy. I have to look at what it's called. Archie's. It's called Archie's Final Project. The original title is actually My Suicide because it also deals with like self-harm and suicide throughout the movie. Mm. But um, because it came out in like a more modern, like, like closer to now, it, it was a, a lot more of a sensitive issue, I guess. And so they thought changing the title, taking suicide out of the title really like uh, was more yeah. uh, sensitive, I guess. A little more accessible <laughs> yeah, yeah. to a wider audience. Yeah, yeah. Going back to what you're talking about, every little detail needs to kind of contribute to this contrast. I also love the scene where they're at a funeral, funeral ends, they're leaving a funeral. You see Maud leading the line out she has this bright yellow umbrella mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. followed by a sea of black umbrellas i mean that's not subtle at all <laughs> yeah the message <laughs> they're trying to send not only is she leading the pack which is kind of indication that this woman um is wiser beyond her years and probably mm-hmm. you know is more put together mm-hmm. um but also the bright yellow umbrella at a funeral which is an indication that she doesn't take death very seriously let alone mourning. I remember when they first meet at the funeral, she talks about how, um, why do people wear black to funerals? Like, people send flowers, but they yes. don't send black flowers. Like, yeah, something like that. That was something, yeah. but that was something really good. I'd never thought of that before. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good way to put it in perspective. Like, you don't send people black anything else in regards to a funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just because you don't want that to be a, in, in my opinion, it's harder to come across black things because they're not as beautiful, but also it's a consistent reminder of, hey, you're in mourning. Yeah. <laughs> Yet you insist upon wearing dark clothes. Um, mm-hmm. No, I liked that a lot. So I think another reason it worked for me too is because it appears to me that Harold is the pursuer in this relationship, not Maud. And I think if it were the other way around, it would appear very predatory. And yeah, a little, I can see. Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it would appear like she was grooming this young adolescent boy, even though he's 20 years old. But because he pursues her and because his mother is already insisting that he take some sort of spouse, it feels far more natural and organic that he would gravitate to the only person that's bringing him any kind of joys. Mm-hmm. I did not think the movie was going to take it so far to where he was going to propose. Yes, and it was not well received by anybody in his life. That either. was a funny monologue. <laughs> the mon- yeah, the montage of people talking about everything wrong with his um, pursuit of marriage to Maud. I think that's that was pretty funny. <laughs> and the, the scene of the priest who just lists off everything you've been thinking but didn't Saggy want to say. Saggy buttocks or something. <laughs> yeah, I think he said, and her saggy breasts. <laughs> oh, wait, I can't remember if he said breasts. Or... And they actually, they totally have sex in this movie. I did not see that Yes, they through. did. That was what made me very uncomfortable. Was that, that was it? Uh, where they wake up in bed together and he's shirtless. I was like, hmm. Because uh, your mind automatically questions a little a little bit. Yeah, what was but... that like? How did that, how did that work? <laughs> Definitely. They never kiss in this movie either. Yeah, they shy away from showing... Uh, he kisses her on the cheek, I think, at one point. Yeah. And then after that is when they cut to them waking up together in bed, which made me um, a little bit uncomfortable. Yes. But... <laughs> and I, I know for a fact that they did shoot scenes of them kissing mouth to mouth. How do you know that? <laughs> because when you go and you look at the old trailers, the old trailers feature that scene. I had no idea. But I think before it was released into theaters, the producers were like, oh, no, that's taking it a step too far. <laughs> too controversial. So too controversial to have these two people kissing. They'll but... show him disemboweling himself in his, like, <laughs> lobby, though, with a, with a knife. <laughs> I think, yeah, like, let's just show him <laughs> killing himself in all of these, like, horrendous ways. Let's, let's see the aftermath of him screwing this old woman. But to dare them kiss? 
No. <laughs> Maybe it's also commentary on like social like um, acceptance, like what like gore is acceptable to people, but they don't want to see like a romance that kind of makes them uncomfortable or is off-putting. Like, I don't know. Maybe that was an intentional oh, inclusion that... or intentional um, like lack of showing like the kissing. Maybe that was the director's decision. That's a really good point because you know, by this time, how many people were willing to go watch, like, the latest, you know, cheap uh, horror movie in theaters, but they probably found this, which is, other than, you know, the suicidal thoughts, a very wholesome romance. Mm -hmm, Definitely. But people become ten times more turned off of that just because we have these preconceived notions of what it means to be beautiful, attractiveness, Mm. chemistry, which they totally have. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But... Yeah, it was definitely a challenge to the conventional uh, rom-com setup, I will say, like you said earlier. Yeah. Stands alone in that sense, I guess. You're more likely to find a movie, though, where your main characters are both being unfaithful to one another than you are to just where the main character is 30 years older than the other one Mm -hmm. and granted that's not super common within society either Mm -hmm. especially when the woman is much older than the man especially i mean it's so frequent that you see a hollywood a-lister be 20 years older than his co-star oh yeah which i think is another thing we can talk about why is does it make it us uncomfortable just because the roles are reversed yeah i think that was also probably an intentional move on the director's part just to like make it as as strange and unusual as possible in order to catch your attention maybe mm-hmm. and make you think after you've watched the movie like for sure because there's this era where you have actors like gary cooper james stewart Cary grant and they're frequently cast you know against people who are 30 20 years younger than them and we never bat an eye because as an audience we are conditioned to seeing that and for some reason we've accepted that age gap as being okay mm-hmm. now granted those aren't 50 years apart i mean <laughs> those people aren't practically using canes to move across the screen But it's kind of the same idea. And like you said, it probably is. Let's make this as weird to people as possible. Yeah, yeah. And by making the woman the older one within the relationship, you establish that oddness. That bizarre... (laughs) Establish the the oddness. Yeah, that's a good good way of putting it. (laughs) We can talk about Maud's suicide. Did you... I was not expecting it. Uh It It caught me off guard, I will say. Um, it was sad. I was I, I liked her as a character, and so I was sad that they made it in that way, I guess. It's interesting because up until that point, they ca- paint her as a character who has such a vitality for life. Yeah, exactly. And then, but she does make, she does say something early in the movie at the first meeting that foreshadows where she says, well, 75's too young, 85's too old. 80. That's a good time to go. Wait, um, have you seen Midsommar? Yes, I love Midsommar. Okay, so that kind of reminded me of, like, in Midsommar, when you turn 72, there's, like, a ritualistic suicide (gasps) because they said you'll expire. Like, you won't appreciate life after that. Yeah, you're no longer a contribution to society. Yeah, like, you're just sitting there. You're not taking uh, anything else out of life. You're just kind of a burden, I guess. So maybe she felt like she had gotten everything she possibly could out of life, and so it was, like, the perfect time to go. And I saw the similarities in that. And that is part of the thing that makes society uncomfortable the concept of not seeking life to, not seeking like long, longevity in life but seeking mm-hmm. like like quality it's an interesting con- it's controversial definitely <laughs> but it's an interesting concept it ties into what we talk about now society of like legal euthanasia and yes, things like that because yeah. she makes the choice i'm re- i'm out Mm-hmm. And she seems completely okay with the idea. She doesn't make it seem like a big deal. She kind of like downplays it to Harold when she explains that she took the pills. And he definitely like reacts, has a strong reaction when mm-hmm. she tells him, like an emotional reaction, understandably. But she just kind of like straight face talks about it, like it's a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty shocking. 
I thought at the 11th hour they were going to pull through and they would get her to the hospital soon enough and she would bounce back. But no, they cut the cord on this character. Definitely. And that brings us to the end, which I also loved, where Harold drives a hearse throughout the whole movie, which just makes sense since this man's obsessed with death. Oh, yeah. You see the hearse drive off the cliff. And if you were not like Mary and watching this movie properly, (laughs) you would have noticed that the camera slowly pans up and he's standing overlooking the cliff with his banjo which Maude has instructed him to learn to play because mm. she insists everyone should know how to play an instrument which once again goes into get the most out of life definitely i really enjoyed the ending the second time i watched it because i missed the very <laughs> ending so i rewatched it and i really i really really liked um the way the hearse kind of represented his infatuation with death and how like him running that off the cliff kind of like um symbolized his his newfound appreciation for life and so like now that the hearse is gone like he runs off and goes on to live the rest of his life yeah Yeah. Mm. um so we can just kind of briefly talk about these characters ruth gordon plays maude she'd been in the business for many years and that's clear as she is an 80 year old woman Mm -hmm. um she was a very established actress she had already i want to say she'd won a best actress oscar for rosemary's baby at this point just a few years before this one, like mid to late 60s. Okay, okay. And this is 71. Um, and I actually read somewhere that it was hard for her. She had to kind of campaign for this role because she had won the Oscar playing like a very evil, malicious character. And now she's playing this very ditzy, carefree, breezy character. And so they weren't sure if she could pull it off. And I think she definitely did. Bud Court plays Harold and he is also 20 years old. Okay, I didn't realize he, he was actually the same age. Yeah, um, he had a very, very short run in the early 70s where he had a couple good parts, and this was definitely his peak, and then for several reasons, he kind of fell off the map. For one, it's so easy to see how you could be typecast being in this movie. Oh, definitely, especially with his, like, boyish face and the way he, like, kind of, like, is portrayed as a character. You can definitely be typecasted, kind of like Michael Sarah. Yes, yes! <laughs> that's, that's where my mind went. <laughs> Uh, it definitely also gave me Tim Burton character vibes, like with his yes. appearance, the long, like sleek black hair, like, like dark circles under the eyes, kind of like really pale face. Tim Burton has to be inspired by movies like this. Oh, one hundred percent. The infatuation with death and like all things macabre, um, just the look of the pale face contrasting the dark hair and dark eye circles, definitely. And he's so pale. I wonder if he had to intentionally keep himself indoors <laughs> during this shoot to not get any. Because he is one of the palest people I've ever seen. Oh yeah. But yeah, he does Harold and Mod. He doesn't do much else. Um, I heard he actually um, turned down a few roles for fear of being too typecast. Wow. Um, and then in a few years later, in 1979, he was in a terrible car accident. And this man must have the worst luck because it seems like every decade he would get into another bad accident. That would take him years to recover. <laughs> so he hasn't done much since. He says Harold and Mod was a blessing and a curse. Yeah. I guess um, it'll be his legacy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There aren't that many, like, dynamic characters throughout the movie, which makes it easier to focus on the storyline between Harold and Maude. Like, you're not really, like, sidetracked by uh, side characters or other relationships um, Mm -hmm. that compete with the attention on screen for the uh, Harold and Maude's, I guess. And I'll give the same praise I gave Slippers in Seattle to where I just feel like it really lets the writing and the comedy and the direction shine because you don't have to worry about keeping the story tight so you can focus on other faucets Mm -hmm, of what's mm -hmm. going on. You really get to focus on these two people, and I admire that. This movie, like I said, critical and commercial failure, but it slowly gained in esteem and now is pretty widely regarded. Yes, it's a total cult classic. 
Um, this is featured obviously as number nine on the American Film Institute's top 10 romantic comedies list, but it's also featured on, at number 45 on their top 100 comedies list. Oh, wow. So they really respect this. This one I love. It's number 69 on the passions list, which is very, very fitting. Mm-hmm. Imagine being 69s on the romance list. Love it. <laughs> and then it's 89 on the cheers list. So I guess it's considered inspiring. I think it had an overall positive message yeah. with some some dark elements. But definitely, like, uh, after watching it, you have a, a positive outlook on what happened and what happened with Harold's character, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Would you recommend this to anyone? I would. You would? I would. Considering I'm not a fan of the rom-com genre, I would say this is one of the better ones I've watched. And if someone were to ask me for a rom-com um, recommendation, I would definitely put this one out there. I think it has um, a good message and likable characters, and mm-hmm. it's important. Like, it's... Uh, it's had a good influence on other movies that I've seen. It's taken influence from Shakespearean stories, Shakespearean love stories. And I think it's culturally important. I, I really enjoyed this movie. And I thank you for, yes. for making me watch it. <laughs> um, thank you. I'll definitely be returning to this one. Um, as a millennial, this appeals to millennial humor so well. Oh, definitely. The self-loathing, <laughs> like, I'd be better off dead kind of, like, mm-hmm. like yeah. <laughs> no, for me, this 100% stands the test of time. I didn't even realize it was 50 years old until we sat here. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. It, it's it's some dated humor, but I not 50 years dated. I think it... It definitely has some some lasting scenes like mm-hmm. that, yeah. And if you're concerned about the weird age gap romance, I will say it's definitely part of this movie, but it's not as in your face as you might suspect. Yeah, by not showing them kissing on the mouth, I think they definitely yeah. took into account that that would turn people off from the movie, maybe take away from the message they wanted to convey with the story. It has a wonderful message about hope and self-discovery and um, embracing the best parts of life. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of your podcast series. Yes. I'm extremely honored that I get to be a part of this. I hope it was worth your time. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of romcom.com, and I encourage you to join us next week when we cover number eight on the AFI's top ten romantic comedies list, and it is Moonstruck, starring Cher and Nicolas Cage. So, I'm... Mary, you're gonna drive off a cliff. Yeah. Or okay. you're gonna take some tablets, and I'm gonna pretend <laughs> to drive off. We're gonna re- recreate the scene. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to just frolic off into a meadow, playing my banjo. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Thank y'all for listening. Bye.